In this buffer period in between the Christmas feasts and the beginning of the new season of cooking classes, which will start again at the appearance of swallows and a wild fennel of the fields, I work on my pantry and on my diet. I limit my purchases to fresh ingredients, like a weekly pilgrimage to the butcher to buy good local meat. During market days, I buy fresh fish at the little stall that brings the daily catch from the Tuscan coast and basketfuls of fresh fruit and vegetables. Cauliflower, broccoli, all shades of bitter winter greens and radicchio, badenu squash and fennels, they are all still welcome in my kitchen. I pile up all the seasonal citrus fruits in my fruit bowl at home, rejoicing their bright colors and their clean smell that pervades the house, but mainly in the zing they add to almost every dish I cook during these cold months. Before the new episode, I would love to thank you for the precious support and all the love you show us, sharing, reviewing and trying the recipes we mention in each episode. I know you're super busy, so if you don't want to miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share cooking with an Italian accent with your friends. Last but not least, remember that you will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in the episode show notes. And don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. And now, let's start! Ciao! My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and I'm a Tuscan-born and bred country girl, a home cook, a food writer and a photographer. I teach Tuscan cooking classes in my house in the countryside and I've been sharing honest, reliable Italian recipes for 10 years now through my cookbooks and my blog, juleskitchen.com. If you love everything about Italian food, big crowded tables and seasonal ingredients, join us and follow this podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. My name is Giulia Scarpaleggia and you are listening to Cooking with an Italian Accent, episode 31. This is the season of citrus fruits, clementines and mandarins, oranges, the sweet, the bitter and the blood ones, the lemons from the costiera, the elegant bergamots from Calabria with their intoxicating aroma, the huge citrons I use to make my homemade candied peels. I cannot imagine winter without the freshness of citrus fruit. I love them fiercely, just like I adore fresh herbs in the other seasons. Citrus zest and juice are my basil and my thyme where the herb pots outside are already dead. Today, I'm celebrating with you the citrus season, with their brightness, the joy they add to cold winter days, the liveliness they lend to rich dishes, or the depth of flavor they give to the simplest salads. Now I'm going to share with you how I use them, when I'm not munching on clementines directly from a paper bag coming home from the market, juicing oranges and bergamots in the morning, or zesting a lemon in a cake butter. Let's start with first courses. I have a great lemon zest almost on everything. I crave its zinc that cuts through the richness of many winter comfort foods. Think about lemon tagliolini, where the acidity of lemon perfectly balances the richness of butter, the fresh egg noodles and the cheese. Ten years ago, when my blog was barely one year old, I made a rabbit ragu, where lemon zest had apparently just a marginal role a final zesting before serving the pasta. 
Yet it was so refreshing and unexpected that after so many years, I still recall the joy that the pasta gave me. So as the recipe was practically lost among the pages of this blog, I made it again, perfecting the method and tweaking the ingredients. It was as satisfying as I remembered. I call it a ragu, a meat sauce, even though it is made without tomato sauce and with a meat, which is typically eaten but roasted, fried, or even alla cacciatora, with meaty black olives. Rabbit is a common courtyard animal for families in Tuscany, a meat which we usually cook almost on a weekly base, and even for children, for their first attempts at eating solid food. It makes a tasty white meat sauce for a Sunday meal, a less traditional ragu with a zing of lemon zest and the richness of lardo. You will find this recipe on the blog. Just follow the link in the episode show notes. And then after pasta, rice. Often risotto, another first course rich in butter or cheese, benefits from the tangy note of citrus fruits. There's a barley risotto on the blog where lemon complements fava beans and pecorino cheese. While I often appreciate orange when fish is involved. And now let's have a look at main courses with meat and fish. If there's one meat recipe that comes to my mind when I think about citrus fruit, that is Faraona all'arancia, which is my mom's guinea fowl cooked with orange juice and orange slices and pancetta for good measure. It is a version, practical and humble, of the most famous duck all'arancia. It is said that the duck all'arancia, usually considered French, was actually created in Florence, and brought to the court of Francis I by Caterina de' Medici, who married his son, Henry II. Let me be honest, this is probably a legend, though, and probably both the French people and the Italians had already realized how the orange perfectly suits the rich and fat duck meat. Orange and lemon juices are often used to marinate meat, to soften it and give flavor, such in beef skewers. In the beef skewers I'm sharing on the blog, I use their lemon, orange and mustard marinade to baste the meat during the cooking. You'll have flavorful skewers with a hint of citrus, which is perfectly suited to these cold winter days. Then I often pair lemon and clementines to chicken when I roast it, either whole or in pieces. Sometimes I add fennels too. For example, in our book from the markets of Tuscany, there's a recipe from Chianti for a roast chicken with lemon and vinsanto, and it's a very interesting recipe. Lemon is also my favorite choice when it comes to fish, like mackerel, sea bream or sea bass, and especially when I bake them whole, either sprinkled with coarse salt or wrapped in parchment paper. And now let's have a look at side dishes. Have you ever thought about using seasonal citrus fruits to make a salad? This is a southern tradition. I remember that my grandfather Biagio, who was from Basilicata, a tiny region in between Naples and Puglia, so he used to eat a blood orange salad very often. I was mesmerized by the colors, but also, in the same time, slightly dubious about that drizzle of olive oil and the sprinkling of salt and pepper on the slices of oranges that for me was just a fruit, to be eaten at the end of a meal or as a snack. Now I make this salad quite often, adding some chopped pistachios, choosing different kinds of citrus fruits, and drizzling my best extra virgin olive oil. Then I serve this as a colorful side dish. It is also very common to use citrons to make a salad. In this case, you would not peel the fruit 
as you would do with oranges, but you would use the thick skin of citrus fruit. Cut that into chunks and then drizzle with extra virgin olive oil, salt and pepper. And these thick pieces of peel, they would soak up all the dressing and it becomes a very refreshing, a fabulous seasonal salad. Another classic from my cooking repertoire is a fennel and orange salad, which is my go-to side dish, especially when the main course is either grilled fish or pork chops. When I forget that I have a meal to prepare though, this salad welcomes other ingredients and becomes a main. My favorite addition is crumbled goat cheese, but I like to add also anchovies or herrings or a buffalo mozzarella, if you listen to Tommaso. I have ready some crusty bread and more olive oil. The way citrus fruits play a role in a side dish is mainly as a dressing though. From the simplest salads, dressed with extra virgin olive oil and lemon juice, there was no balsamic vinegar when I was growing up, just olive oil and a reliable wedge of lemon to dress lettuce or radicchio, to more complex marinades to drizzle over vegetables before over roasting them. I've been eating tons of roast fennels lately, seasoned with a garlicky lemon and olive oil dressing and baked until caramelized. Same for radicchio, that I usually drizzle with orange juice before roasting. And now let's talk about desserts. Until a few years ago, desserts were probably the course where I would use citrus fruits more often, with confidence and boldness. What would be a white chocolate cake without the touch of freshness of lemon zest? Who could resist dark chocolate and orange? Until a few years ago, my grandma would make thin, crisp, candied orange peels and dip them in dark chocolate. She would keep them in a heavy glass jar in a living room and I could not pass by the corner without stealing one or more every time. And I still remember the first time I tried lemon curd, one of the reasons I started loving England and English food. That first spoonful, I still remember it. It was at the same time buttery, rich, sour, refreshing and addictive. It turned my world upside down. As I love lemons, many are the desserts made with lemons on the blog. You can find a lemon polenta cake, a lemon bond cake, a rice pudding tart with lemon zest and a lemon and honey panna cotta. My favorite chocolate cake though has clementine juice and zest in it. It is a chocolate cake made with extra virgin olive oil, a few cubes of dark chocolate, almond flour to give body and flavor, and wholemeal spelled flour to reduce the use of white flour, then a good handful of raw cane sugar and the juice and zest of a couple of clementines to give a fresh citrus hint to each slice. Another traditional cake where citrus fruit play an important role is schiacciata alla fiorentina, which is a carnival treat from Florence. It is called schiacciata, so like a flatbread, but it's not bread, it's a cake. So in this cake, orange juice and zest give it a traditional aroma, along with vanilla. Often though, the oranges in the traditional Florentine pastries used to be actually bergamots, very common in the area in the past times. As an evidence, those round citrus fruit that you can see in the La Robbia's enamel majolicas are actually bergamots, not oranges. And now the last chapter of my citrus celebration, preserves. In winter, I begin the new year by making a few batches of mixed citrus marmalade, 
changing every time the ratio of lemons, oranges, citrons, blood oranges, bergamots and bitter oranges I use. Each year, my marmalade has a different taste, a distinctive vintage flavor. Slicing the thick, spongy citrus peels is my favorite kitchen meditation. The days I spend making citrus marmalade are among the happiest of the season. I get slightly tipsy with the essential oils and I'm mesmerized watching the jam simmering away. I feel I am something in between a modern alchemist and a witch among jars, ladles and pots. The bitter orange marmalade has an undeniable appeal. Its bitterness makes it difficult to comprehend its charm, just like Woody Allen's comic quality. When you get it, you fall in love with it, and there's no coming back. The bergamot marmalade pushes the bitterness to an extreme level, balanced by an irresistible fragrance. Open the jar and it's like taking a bath in a cup of Earl Grey. The mixed citrus marmalade is balanced and cheerful. You taste the sweetness, the bitterness, a freshness, and then the lemon acidity. It makes you love it, and for this reason, it is the perfect gift, because you can enjoy it on toast for breakfast, as a filling for a sponge cake, or as an ingredient to glaze a piece of pork to caramelize in the oven. I also collect the peels of oranges and citrons to candy, taking pride in the shimmering pots aligned in my pantry. Crescents of translucent peel suspended in thick, amber-colored syrup, ready for my Christmas cake production. I also make my precious orange powder, which is probably the most humble preserve I make. Every year, I fill a jar with this fine powder with an intensely orange scent and use it sparingly since the end of the orange season in biscotti, cakes, but also in risotti and with fish to substitute the freshly grated orange zest, which is one of the most celestial smells in the world. I recently discovered that what I believe to be a new way to preserve the orange aroma throughout the hot months was instead an old remedy, something my grandmother has always done. They would dry up the orange peel next to the fireplace and crumble it in cakes and biscotti when needed. Those women had never thrown something away, let alone the peel of a fruit as precious as an orange. So how do you make it nowadays? Remove the orange zest with a peeler, collect it on a wire rack and dry until brittle next to a stove, on a radiator or near the fireplace. You can also dry them up in a dehydrator or in the oven or low temperatures. Be careful as the orange zest is so thin that it burns up easily. When you have a good amount, blend them into a fine powder. Collect this powder with a brush in a jar. It can be kept for several months preserving its aroma intact. And you can follow the same procedure for clementines and lemons. So let me finish this episode with two of my favorite books about citrus fruit. The first one is The Land Where Lemons Grow by Helena Attlee. It is not a cookbook, it's a charming excursion through history and through Italian citrus groves, from the Giardini of the Medici's Villas to the Lemon Terrazze in Amalfi Le Garda, Limonaie, up until the Concadoro in Sicily. It explores the diffusion of lemons, oranges, bitter oranges, blood oranges, citrons and bergamots in the Italian life, culture and culinary heritage.
Reading those pages, you are intoxicated by the smell of Zagara and by Elena Hutley's sensual prose. It is an informative and evocative book. The second book is Citrus by Catherine Phipps, where the beautiful photos of Moe Kay with 150 recipes for all citrus lovers. Through fresh salads, soups, seafood and Asian and Mediterranean influenced meat dishes, preserves and pickles, to the world of sweet pies, cakes and cocktails. Catherine Phipps explored the myriad uses of oranges and lemons and all the things in between. Word of the day. Learn Italian language of food word after word. Every year, more than 200 people join our cooking classes. Speaking with them, I made a small dictionary of important words and pronunciations that can help you navigate through the immense world of Italian food. So if you love Italian language as much as you love Italian cooking, these are a few words that can be useful for you. Today's word is marmellata. M-A-R-M-E-L-L-A-T-A. Marmellata. I already mentioned this word in the 17th episode, but it is worth repeating it. Marmellata is marmalade, so a preserve made with citrus fruit. Oranges, bitter oranges, lemons, citrons, mandarins, whatever floats your boat. In our common language though, often marmellata is a general word for jam, which would be confettura in Italian. So you might find in a trattoria menu a dessert like crostata con marmellata di pesche, which would sound like peach marmalade, a crostata with a peach marmalade. So now you know what to expect. This is the end of today's episode of our podcast, Cooking with an Italian Accent. If you have questions about Italian and Tuscan cooking, just email me at jules at juleskitchen.com or join our Facebook group, Cooking with Jules Kitchen. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to a podcast and share it with your friends. You will find all the links to the recipes we mentioned today in this episode's show notes. Don't forget to visit juleskitchen.com for new stories and recipes from Tuscany. Ciao!